0: I love what I do, I love the company, I love the people. My hope is that my impact outside of Vector can be felt even more dramatically than the impact that I've had inside of Vector. I pride myself on being a great storyteller. I'm always either telling stories of the past or painting a vision of a story for the future. We got big plans. Part of what i want to do is change the way that we see what is a good performance it's really cool to have spoken these standards and this type of performance into existence and watching these guys elevate we are at the start of high times in cutco and vector oh, over the next few years we're about to go on a ride brother
1: that's the voice of brian hurlman but i probably didn't need to tell you that. If you're involved in Cutco Vector, you already know and love Brian as the powerful leader of the Virginia Titan division. He is known to be raw, authentic, energetic, charismatic, and inspiring. This is your chance to eavesdrop on an authentic conversation between me and Brian as we talk about the year that was in 2020, what motivates Brian, how he feels about winning and losing, and some of his tips for peak performance. There are no edits in this conversation, and you may need to brace yourself a few times as Brian and I both just let the conversation fly. My hope is that you'll be left feeling inspired about your possibilities in 2021 and beyond. Well, you pressed play, so you must be ready. Here comes Brian Hurlman Uncensored. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone. You are in for a treat today. I am with Brian Hurlman today. Yes, the great Brian Hurlman. Uh, he's been in the Cutco business since 2007. Nine time national champion in the business, responsible for over $36 million in sales. And the guy is just winding down as we're recording here, a great year in 2020, among the greatest performances we have ever seen in the company. Brian competes in five competitive categories uh, as a manager in Vector with his office and his division. And in those five categories, he is 10th, 2nd, 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 And first, he will win one silver cup for sure, with three others coming down to the wire as the year winds down. If you want to hear his full story, episode 65 is one of the most popular episodes in the history of the podcast. That'll give you Brian's vector story. Today, we're going to talk about 2020. We're going to talk about the future. We're going to get into the mind and heart of Brian Hurlman. Welcome, Brian, to the podcast. What's up, Dan? Excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for making time once again to be able to share yourself with our audience. I'm really excited about this. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Me too, man. I'm honored. (laughs) All right. Well, look, this was an amazing year for you in 2020. What were some of your goals at the outset of the year?
0: (sighs) I mean, it's kind of, as we sit here in uh, December 18th, it's kind of crazy that we're defining the year of 2020 as a great year. I don't know if you would have used that phrasing in, you know, early March that anyone would have expected. That's what we're talking about as far as our outcomes for, for this year. But man, what a crazy year, dude. Mm -hmm. You know, as we started the year, when I was in training, when I was running training, when I was speaking to the division, I was talking about doing, you know, six to six and a half million dollars. And I was respecting that number. Like, like, I've been around a long time I watched those silver cup reports i I know what a top you know division performance looks like. I know how many divisions do over five million dollars in, in a normal year you know let alone six and so I had a a healthy amount of respect for that number and I felt like going into the year you know that was gonna be a challenge for us and but that's what we were going after six to six and a half million dollars and it's crazy that you know, we sit here now, we're just under 7 million. And uh, this year, this week will get us over. And it's just nuts, man. Crazy. Yeah.
1: And your office crushing it as well. Well yeah. over a million dollars in new business sales yep. uh, in your office, your pilot development category. You basically lapped the field. Mm-hmm. I think you're double number two in that category. So a lot of success that's come out of your office as well. I mean, it's huge. I mean, what an amazing year. How did your goals change or did they change when the pandemic struck in March?
0: Yeah, whoa. <laughs> um, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit at SLC this year when I spoke to the field, but I remember, I remember getting back and a couple, like, you know, three, four days after we were back, they, they shut down the borders. And I remember at first, Dan, I was freaking out. I didn't know what the hell we were going to do. You know, I remember there were a couple points in time. I had a couple. I don't. I, you know, dare I say, frantic conversations with my region manager, and just thinking about how are we going to how are we going to respond to this? Like, what are we going to do? Are we going to we going to email all these people? You know, a, a prospectus and a, and in a, a training manual. Like, what the what the hell are we going to do? And then maybe a day after I had one of these conversations with with Scott Dennis, I saw Drew post the YouTube link in our DVM Facebook group of like, hey, here's what Wes and I made. Here's what we're doing. And I shit you not, Dan, I watched maybe um, 90 seconds of it. You know, I fast forward into like he's building, but I fast forward to where we were going, like what he was doing and showing us. I watched that for about 90 seconds, and I w- I knew that this this was the direction that we were heading in. Mm. And call it a call it gut, call it instinct, call it decisiveness. I just felt like this was the direction that I was going to take our division in. And I remember I remember telling Scott like like I'm, this is what I'm going to do for sure. And I think it's probably worth us discussing this at the DVM table. And you know, ultimately, our entire region you know shifted in that direction. But Man, so big shout out to Drew Frank and Wes Frank. Thank you guys so, so much for the work that you you put into uh, my vector demo and your Cutco demo. We I don't know what we would have done without that, but I remember as as pandemic struck, we were starting to work through, okay, virtual interviews and virtual training. And I remember, you know, I remember our first couple, I remember my my first couple virtual trainings. Um, I remember the first one I felt like it was so shitty <laughs> I got home and I told Alexandra I was like I told my wife I was like I'm done you know I, all my personal pow- all of my training prowess comes from being able to connect with people in person and use my charisma and I, my hands are tied behind my back and I'm I am I don't know what I'm going to do mm-hmm. I remember this so distinctly and then I ran another one and it was a little bit better, and then I had a keynote, and I ran another one, and it got a little bit better. And I started thinking, okay, all right, okay, we can do this. We can do this. And what eventually happened, what gave me the confidence, is I, I, I had a training launch that, you know, we launched a handful of kids, and they went out and they did, I don't know, ten or fifteen k first weekend. It wasn't a huge launch. This was in April, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this works. Like the, this works. We got <laughs> there. They're it actually clicked. selling. It clicked, and this was in like early, early April. And uh, then by by mid to late April, we were we were cranking summer style. I mean, it was insane, right? And at that point, you know, I definitely knew that we had the potential for something special based on the kind of recruiting response we were getting. We had hired a bunch of SMR. We had hired a bunch of social media recruiting assistants, and we had responses blowing up and I mean, it was it was insane from a recruiting standpoint. And I knew that I could get if if the recruiting's happening like that, I can get the sales to translate. And so we decided that you know, as a DVM, I was going to run training for for the division, you know, for the for all the branches and for the new DMs and. I went into figure it out mode. I remember, you know, getting calls with, with Dane Eswigard and asking what he was doing in training with Ketchum and Gamboa, what they were doing every week. It was like after the day, after the day finished, I probably spent another 30, 60, 90 minutes or more, you know, debriefing and bitballing with one of the other top, top trainers in the company. And, you know, through that, we were able, we, I think we were all able to kind of craft what we felt like was the best practice for what we were going to the direction that we were gonna go in. And being able to take take a lot of ownership over the facilitating the training seminar for all the essentially, you know, maybe call it 70% of the reps in the division, we saw a great productivity increase. Right. And I I, I could tell going into the summer that we had the potential to do something big. So I started thinking, okay, what can we do? What can we do for the summer? And I started thinking about, okay, could, could we crack $4 million for the summer? So as April was emerging, I was thinking, okay, can we, can we figure out a way to do $4 million plus, stop, plus uh, for the summertime? And I wasn't sure what that was going to equate to for the rest of the year, you know, because new business was really up and FSM business was stagnant or down. And so I didn't really know what the net increase was going to look like. I just knew that we were going to swing for the fences and try to take advantage of of the upside that I saw, and you know that's what we did. Yeah,
1: awesome. What uh, when you shared when you first called Scott and talked to Scott about things? What was his mindset? You know, Scott so
0: Scott so the yin to my yang. I have a feeling that like he had to have been freaking out as much as I I was. He had to have been. Maybe maybe not, but. In my head, like I'm thinking, there's no way that he wasn't freaking out as much as I was. But when I called him freaking out, he was the voice of reason, dude. He was like, "We've got this," you know. It it was it was so no big deal. It was like, yeah, I mean, we're gonna have some challenges, and but we're gonna figure this thing out. We've got this, and it was it was confidence inspiring. I, I remember getting off those calls, and I was still after some of these calls, still freaking out. But the fact that Scott wasn't gave me enough confidence to say, okay, well, you know, let's see what we can throw to the wall and let's see what sticks. If, if, Scott, if Scott's feeling confident, then I- I'm going to take his lead. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I have so much admiration for the way that Scott and your whole team in the Eastern region handled uh, the early days of this and crushed it this summer. You described thinking about, you know, could you get to $4 million for the summer Uh, You finished up at $4.274 for the summer. That was number one. Jeff Gamboa's division was number two for the summer. Larry Manley's division was number three for the summer. And Trey Ketchum's division was number four for the summer. I mean, that's just crazy right there. And uh, I I know that's due in large part to Scott's leadership and to the influence of people like you who uh, drove it forward. Uh, what was the hardest thing about it? Like, as you, as you went through the, the pivots, what was the hardest thing?
0: Well, you know, initially, you know, just pivoting to the virtual interview, we had pre's and we had posts and we had, you know, a 60 minute group and just the, that dynamic changed a lot. Like, our interview dynamic, it wasn't just like, okay, well, we're going to run the interview, but now we're going to do it virtually. It wasn't plug and play like that. It couldn't be, you know. We weren't gonna be able to hold people's attention like that. We weren't gonna be able to. It was there was no scale of. So, Dan, I guess the short answer was all of much of what I felt like the challenges were early on, and even the challenges we experienced during the summer, our bottlenecks were around scalability of of the retention piece. You know, like we were able to scale the recruiting systems. We were ready for that. We were ready to scale that, but we weren't as ready to scale the retention and the rep development system. So we left it, you know, as well as we did. Holy shit, we left so much on the table, and that's why I'm so fired up about 2021. Because last summer we were just throwing shit to the wall to see what was going to stick. You know, this summer we know what we're. We, we at least have some direction. We know what we're doing. This is version. This is version 2.0 with some experience behind us. I just remember those challenges being being scalability, scalability of the recruiting, scalability of the rep management. I remember also being frustrated with my my onboard percentage, right? So the people that are listening to the podcast that are familiar with our model, you know, you have a day one of training, a day two of training, there's some attrition through that process and then you have the onboard. Well, I was experiencing more drop off than I had ever experienced in person. Um, in the virtual environment, and I just attested that Dan to the fact that with less barriers of entry of driving to an office for an interview and driving to the training for driving to the office for a training, I felt like we were probably scooping up some 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 applicants, and we were having some people show up to the training seminar that may not have showed up at, at you know in a in a different environment, but because it was like, well, shit, I'm just sitting in my room, I'll give this a shot. So I was kind of frustrated with my with my onboard percentage and, and that's one of the things I'm um, that I, I've still I've been really focused on honing in on over the last four to five months post summer, getting that back to uh, you know, the type of percentage that we would see when we were in person. Uh, but much of the for us, much of the of the bottleneck, much of the challenges were in the scalability of retaining, you know, a I mean 100, 150, 200 people and only having initially, we only had six, seven people on the management team. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we were ready to scale the recruiting. We weren't real ready to scale the retention piece.
1: Yeah. What's one solution you feel you found as you went along that's going to help you with that in 2021?
0: Well, I think it's just empowered delegation, right? I think many times we have an idea as leaders and managers of what kind of skill level someone needs to be at or X, Y, Z things that need to have happened before this person gets a shot. But the reality is, if we're in a scenario where this person isn't well trained but they're needed well we would utilize them right and i i decided to stop going from a place of am i only going to and you know am i only going to empower my leaders and delegate to people when i feel like they've reached this benchmark and here it is instead of just being like well we need the help this is a great person they're not nearly as trained or skilled as i as i would like them to be and not a butt, and I trust them, and I'm sure they can do better than us trying to uh, one person trying to manage 50 people. So for me, it's just it's empowered delegation and and for us in uh in our organization, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get people into a, you know, a pod leader, a assistant manager, intern, into just call it a, a shepherding role early, where you know, they're helping us with a day one PC, they're helping us with a day two PC, they're helping us with a day four or a day eleven PC. And we just have some some human connection touch points where it doesn't have to feel like, okay, cool, I'm done. Now, now the next one. Okay, you're you're off now the next one. Okay, I'm done with you, now the next one. Where you can actually spend some time with people. It's funny, I think sometimes I was sharing this with my management team when we had a TLA this week. I said, you know as an assist, let's say you're a branch manager and you have a kid who's at you know 5k 6k and they've only been on the job for a week or two and you you have you're onboarding a training of 20 right that's a good that's a good onboard for a branch and if if you have an onboard of 20 you're not going to effectively pc 20 people in 60 or 90 minutes you're not effectively going to pc 20 people on a sunday or a wednesday or whatever day you might meet one on one with reps right so you know what's funny? I think what we're, we're afraid of is oh well this person's only at five or six k this person's inexperienced so you know maybe some tough situations they may that they may encounter they're not going to react or respond as well to those things let's say the rep has a has a you know a fear or they have you know something that that they're really uncomfortable with well I'm I'm going to be way better at handling that kind of conversation I And mean, what I was sharing with my managers is you would be how much how surprised how much better that rep at 5 or 6k might be at having that conversation because it's just full of authenticity right it's full of personal experiences mm-hmm. this person was literally in their shoes 1 2 weeks ago and just the fact that they have that kind of proximity in their you know in their start time can can allow that person to maybe handle some of these concerns or fears better than you might be able to as a manager. So, empowered delegation and you know, for us we we want to make sure that we're not creating people who feel this this need to hold autonomy so tight to things that they have no ability to trust and to empower other people.
1: Awesome. I love that answer, Brian. It's so uh it's so it's such a great idea about how to be able to develop a big team and create opportunities for other people. So, and when it's done right, you know, delegation, there's an art to it when it's done right. Uh, it can really be an amazing tool for development. Tell us about, uh, some of your high points from the year. Yeah. What a great
0: year, man. It's again, it's it's so ironic that we're talking about 2020 i almost feel bad dude you know like you talk to people outside of our company and they're asking you like hey how are things going i feel like i have to like you know i need to like mute myself and i'm like oh you know they're going pretty good i guess and they're like oh really like oh like what's it especially people that used to work with us or people just come in completely different industries i'm like oh you know we're up like 60% in sales revenue organizationally. They're like, what? <laughs> so, so it's 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 fun to be able to share my enthusiasm for the year. Now, let me also maybe start by, by prefacing this. I would feel remiss if I didn't. This was a fucking hard year for people. Mm-hmm. This was a fucking hard year for me. <laughs> you know, like early quarantine and like I'm super extroverted and not being able to go to concerts or you know restaurants and see people and get my people together and be in group. Man, I'm I, that. I just that was so hard. And um, that beginning of quarantine was really challenging. I think it was really hard for a lot of people. I think it continues to be challenging for a lot of people. And I just I, I want to recognize that first. And had I not been intentional about deciding that I was going to make this. You know, a great story. I I don't know if we if we would have, but there was a point in time where, you know, uh, Alexandra and I, you know, you get past the Netflix the the Netflix stage of thinking this thing is going to last two or three weeks. We'll chill out like it's a snow day, you know, and do nothing, and then you realize, holy shit, this looks like it's going to be a little bit longer than two weeks. You know, it was uh, it was a tough year for a lot of people. It was a tough year for us, but it was a great and it was just it was a great year. High points, I would say. The first was uh watching my brother get married uh last weekend. So my my brother Chris married his uh fiance Shannon and that was uh it was beautiful and really fun and you know I'm just I'm a proud big brother and it's cool that uh that for a long time I think uh it's tough right being being a younger brother of a you know a, a sibling in general of a of a top performer in anything, right? You know it's cool that my brother and I are at this stage in our relationship where we're equals and it's not this, we don't have this dichotomy of an older brother, younger brother relationship. We're just brothers and we're each other's biggest fans. And it was, it was fun being his best man. I, I would say that was definitely a high point. I would say another high point was a couple days before the, uh, the arrival of my second niece, uh, my sister gave birth literally 20, uh, maybe 48 hours before Chris's wedding. So, you know, twin, twin things. So just uh, a crazy coincidence that my sister was due like two days before my brother's wedding. So, and then we also in June got a chance to celebrate my niece's first birthday and we, my brother came up and Alexandra and I came down. My mom came up and that was really special. My wife and I celebrating our second anniversary, uh, buying our first home, Mm -hmm. uh, That was really, that was fucking stressful, but also, uh, really, really fun. And, uh, that was that, you know, decorating the house and buying furniture and finally feeling like we're settled in. That was a high point, you know, and then watching our division, especially my pillar district managers, just not just survive through this thing or just, you know, grow a little bit, but just really thrive, um, Joseph and Andy both over a million dollars. Zach experiencing big growth again this year. Kai Daniels, a, a, an enormous turnaround from twenty nineteen to, to twenty twenty. Watching Brendan Slocum double in new business from his branch summer to his new DM summer. One hundred and fifty thousand dollar branch average. I take a lot of. I was take a lot of pride in that, man. You know, like I think that's really where the the barometer of you know your performance as a division manager is most felt is. What happens with the performance of this branch class? That was your training. That was eight months of my time as a division manager. I mean, instead of being a two-day training seminar, that's an eight-month training seminar. And the way that they perform is a testament, I think, to the way that we prepare and shepherd our people. And just watching the watching that branch team do the damage that they did was really fun. And and it's crazy. I actually, Dan, it's I know this is a big this is this are these are big words, but I mean, our branch team this summer is. Is even better than it was last summer. They're gonna. I think. I think we have. I mean, we could. We could make a run at something like a hundred and seventy-five or a two hundred k branch average in our division this year. I really believe. I really, really believe that. Yeah. And I think this is part of what I want to do is kind of start us to to change the way that we see. You know, what is a what is a uh, a good performance? And right. from the rep standpoint, to the branch standpoint, to the district standpoint, it's really cool to have. You know, spoken these standards and this type of performance into existence and watching these guys elevate and watching, you know, especially the big three, Andy Noggle, Zach Miller, Joseph Koss, uh, watching Kai and Brendan grow like they have. I mean, we really have the makings of, of just a, a wrecking team. With this DM class and uh, our current DM lineup. So, yeah.
1: 2020
0: was fun because it was a chance for us to let what we've been building over the last two years finally get a chance to shine. So, a lot of hype.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, a team is a reflection of the leader. And, you know, when you think about the standards being established and sort of recalibrating what it means to, to do well as a branch or to do well as a DM, your, your whole, the way that you're, what you're about, Brian, is being a top performer. I mean, you said this in the first podcast episode, if you're going to do take something seriously, you're going to be a top performer. And I feel like that's carried down to your people. And that's why Virginia is doing so, so well
0: right now. Well, I really appreciate that, man. Thanks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I want to get into your head a little
0: bit and find out what makes Brian Hurlman tick. Like what, what is it that motivates you? (sighs) Man, part of it's my upbringing you know, we talked about this in the first podcast. I didn't grow up with much and my mom worked really hard. My parents worked really hard to provide what we had and we didn't have a lot, you know, and I, uh, so I think that's part of the chip on my shoulder. My dad was unemployed for a long time and I watched my mom support a family of five on a teacher's salary while like also being involved in all of our shit. Like she was the, the boy scout mom and the Took us to soccer practice and involved in PT and did it all, and I think that's probably part of the chip on my shoulder. You know, I think now it's moved past like competition. Prove myself to, you know, be remembered. And how how am I going to be remembered? I had a, a coach of mine recently give me a pretty sombering journal exercise, and he asked me to journal my own eulogy. Mm. And I'm not sure if you've ever done something like that before yourself, Dan, but it is, uh, it's a sobering fucking thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I have done a lot of really great things in my vocation and in my career. And if that was the only thing that people talked about at my eulogy, that would be a, a massive failure of my, you know, fulfillment of my potential and the way that I, I want to be remembered. Yes, I want to be remembered as a you know a dynamic entrepreneur, uh, a trainer and a leader of people, uh, a molder of of minds, and I want to be known for my the values and things that matter a lot more than my accomplishments. I want to, you know, I'm excited about being a dad one day. And I'm excited about building a family. And I'm excited about, you know, the kind of impact that I'm going to make in the community that I'm a part of. And I just, you know, for me, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm reaching the full potential of what I was given, you know? Right. And, and, and I like to have a lot of fun and compete. And so that part's fun, And that part, you know, is a, is a good day to day driver, but yeah. long term, the legacy is much more important.
1: Yeah, I've had a chance to give a eulogy. Mm-hmm. And in most notable one for me was from my own dad. And, you know, my dad moved to the United States from Europe with nothing, uh, literally had three suitcases you know, wife and little daughter in tow when they came to United States. And he built a successful business, built a successful life. We were able to live in a really nice area. By the time I was nine years old, I got to go to private schools my whole life. My dad's company, you know, one of our cousins became a partner. He built a great life with a great family, lived in a great area. His kids got to go to private schools their whole lives and another partner jumped in on that and had a great family and great life and there were so many of us who were in that church that day that really really had what we had because my dad and what he what he did his work ethic and you know the efforts that he made and i remember referencing a line that i that i heard in the movie saving private ryan where you know the character that tom hanks plays is dying on a bridge they've gone into enemy lines and they've gotten private ryan out to save him and you know he looks at private ryan and he says earn it you know like look i'm about to give up my life for you you know go fucking do something with this right live a great life make an impact and uh, you know i just remember that moment in that movie and relating that in my dad's eulogy to the to the group in the church that, Hey, you know, the people that have gone before us have done so much for us. And, um, you know, I, I respect that you have this desire to like be more than just your achievements and vector, but to impact your community and to have these values that carry on to other people and raise however many, you know, awesome kids. That's uh that's pretty powerful.
0: Yeah. My hope is that my impact outside of Vector can be felt even more dramatically than the impact that I've had inside of Vector.
1: That's a great summary uh, of of that question of what motivates you. I want to ask you about you've won nine silver cups in Vector before 2020. How does it feel to you when you win at something?
0: Oh, it's fucking awesome, dude. I'm super competitive. So I, uh, I love winning, love it. I'll tell you though, I dislike losing a whole hell of a lot more than I enjoy winning. Mm. So for me, it's not even as much about winning, because that feels great. As much as it is, I don't want to lose. For me, it's way more about not losing than it is about winning. Mm. And, you know, dude, part of that, you you have early childhood experiences right I, mean, I, mean, I i remember being on a i was on a basketball team that we lost like every game but won the whole season and that was that seriously was a defining moment cuz a i tried to qu- everyone sucked so bad on the team that i tried to quit and my dad wouldn't let me he's like you can't just quit cuz cuz other people aren't very good and your team sucks and i remember also thinking i never this is terrible this feeling of losing and so, for me, it's a lot more about not losing than it is winning and and also, at the stage I'm at now with you know, I'm really these division silver cups man, are the ones that, for me, are the coolest, and the ones that i that i I want to win so badly, because it's a testament to the fact that you know it's not just you, your pilot, you know, there are a lot of people that are impacted by you know. An organization, there are a lot of people that play roles. And, you know, for me, I want that accomplishment because I want them to feel that feeling. And Mm -hmm. I I want because I also think that's just it's a great representation of, you know, the way that this that this team has stepped up and, and the way that this team has performed. And so for me it would it would be a uh, it would be really cool to just watch these guys celebrate and i know what it means to them so yeah. we're going after it that's for sure
1: yeah you know i i feel the need to redirect one concept that you just said because you know the to define anything about what you and or your team has done in 2020 as losing is it's not fair it's not fair.
0: You guys have fucking crushed it all year long. Yes. Right? Well, I, I agree. You know, I've told I, the team that we don't need this to define us. This doesn't define our year, but it'd be nice for it'd be nice for us to have when we've been fighting for it this hard. Yeah, I
1: mean, I referenced earlier your 10th and 1 competitive category uh, for the year that you compete in, which is the office total business category. You're second in the office new business category uh, I suppose I'm going to call it an outside chance to win You're second in both division manager categories right there. Like, I mean, this is going to come down to the last few days. By the time this podcast comes out, the race is over. Probably the results won't be out yet. And so there's a good chance you'll come in second in all of those three categories. You're going to win the pilot development cup as we already talked about. But, uh, you know, it's it's not losing at all, Brian, at all. And I think, like, if I were coaching you, I would certainly want you to reframe that in your own mind. Like, there there is no losing happening here. You may not win.
0: You may finish second. You know what's funny? But there's no losing. You know what's funny? I, I've I, I, This has happened. I, I've come in second during plenty of push competitions and things like that. I kind of like that because it's an opportunity for us to rally The troops, man, you know, when you come this close, when you fight like hell, it's a great way to, to surge and to get the collective moving in in a, in a direction for 2021. So I think that there's, there's only wins here at the end of the day, we're having a, a, an unbelievable year. You're totally right.
1: Yeah. And what i found is, is uh, instructive in any sort of competition vector is so competitive and the competitive arena here is so hard. Cause we have so many just warriors and champions here. What I found is that you run, you run across the finish line as hard as you can. You run across the finish line as hard as you can. And then it's over. It's over. The race is over. It's usually three, four days or sometimes longer before we get the final standing, but it's over. You know, once you've run across the finish line, you've done everything you can and you can't control what the other guys do. You can only control what you do. So you run across the finish line. And if you do that, you'll feel good about what happened. The results come out. If you come in first, you celebrate. If you come in second, you call the other guy and say, congratulations, and let's run it back. I'm ready to kick your ass in 2021. And, you know, you shake it off and you go back, you you get back right back to it. You know it. So you know it, baby. it should it should be fun. It should never feel like a uh, losing at all. It should be fun, enjoying the journey and relishing the competition. So, and uh, if you do that, you're going to come out on top. You know, hopefully as often as you don't. And uh, that's what makes it uh, what makes it awesome. So true. Yeah. What do you do, Brian, on like a daily, weekly basis uh, to keep yourself at peak performance? Do you have routines or habits that you feel are important?
0: Yeah, you know, for me, if my energy is right, my vibes are right. You know, it's when I'm operating at my peak performance. So, sleep is really important to me. You know, I'm I'm in bed by this pretty much the same time every night. I'm up. My wife hates it, but I literally have an alarm go off at the same time every single day, three hundred and sixty five days a year. Even if I don't have to wake up necessarily, I still have the alarm go off because I like my body to just be in a in a rhythm of waking up at that time. So uh, I think that's important. Mass is a big one for me. You know, when my wife and I are Catholic and mass on Sunday is one of those things that just fuels me, dude. I know that sounds crazy, but that one's big. One of the things I do daily is prayer. And I always have some, I have space for myself in the morning where I don't ever have to like, I'm never up and then doing something that's important within 60 minutes or something, you know, like I give myself the space to, I get up, I make a French press coffee. Uh, I listen to some music, you know, I'll read a little bit. I'll watch, uh, like I'll read an article. I'll read part of a book or I'll, you know, if I'm, if I'm feeling inspired, I might journal some things, but I, I create this, this, this space. And for some people, it's a morning routine, Dan, some people it's like, it's like really meticulous. And it's really like, structured and shit mine is isn't as structured but it is definitely as as important for my energy levels you know even if it's just a, a french press coffee s- some good vibe music and a, and a chance for me to just kind of look at my calendar think about my day that's that's really really important for me and then you know alexandra and i walk we walk outside probably four or five days a week at least, mile, two miles on the weekends, sometimes more. We have a lot of really awesome walking trails. I love I, I love getting in sunshine, getting in God's nature. That's really, really key for me. I realized part part way through quarantine, I just kept myself myself cooped up so fucking long, you know? And just getting outside and seeing some sunshine and taking a walk, like that became a game changer for us when we started doing it in you know late may early june we just uh, we got cabin fever we're like we got to we got to get outside of this damn house so that's been big so some exercise some movement some space in the morning prayer mass on sundays those are all things that keep me operating at my best i love that
1: that uh, you know uh, our emotions play a huge role in our long term well being and in our success And if somebody is, you know, rushing to get somewhere, for example, like, and they're feeling stress, like that has an effect on your whole day. It has an effect on a lot of things. I, I like that you talked about, you know, having that space for yourself in the morning, getting into nature, I think that's important, taking care of your spirituality, whatever that means to anybody listening for you, it's mass on Sunday, it's prayer, that's super valuable as well. Uh, all of these things make a big difference on someone's overall effectiveness, and it just seems like you've got yourself in a rhythm where you're able to be at your best almost every day, if not every day, and that's way you know more than what most people do. It's the rhythms, dude,
0: that's such a great way to put it.
1: yeah, how about how do you transfer your enthusiasm and your energy to the people who are around you, to your organization and
0: to others that uh, that you're with? It's <laughs> a great question. I pride myself on being a great storyteller. Uh, so I'm always either telling stories of the past or painting a vision of a story for for the future. I feel like I'm also really, really, really good at enrolling those first followers. Like anytime I'm I'm speaking to a group, I'm pretty, I'm really good at getting those first couple of people vibing with me because then those couple people in the crowd get the rest of the even if it's on Zoom. If I have a couple people who are head nodding me and who are with me, that fuels me even more and then because of their in their enthusiasm, it starts to spread to the rest of the the rest of the it's crazy. You can even see it happen on a Zoom call. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. I uh it's so it's here's the thing, man. It's so authentic, it's so genuine and You know, as funny as it is, you might think like these things that like when I'm when I might be speaking to a group or or even one on one that it's all off the top of my head. And I guess it is to a point, but I have said it and done it so many times that it's not it's not really off the top of my head. It's fucking Mm. prepared, dude. Like Mm. my brain is like running through in the back. Like what's about to come out on the front because I've done it so many times. And so like for those managers that are new, like you have to prepare because then what eventually happens, because listen, dude, until 2015, every single team meeting I ran, I had a, I had notes, I had a shitload of stuff ready, and I had prepared a lot of content. And then after doing it 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, seven years as a district manager, you know, it looks like it's off the top of my head. It's not off the top of my head. I'm not freestyling this shit. I've just done it so many times that I can make it look like that. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: It's, it's internalized for you. It's it's not off the top of your head. it, it it's inside you. It's like in your heart and your mind. It's in there, and it's a part of who you are. And so it just comes out, right? I I love the analogy that you know when you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. Meaning, put something under pressure, with inside comes out, right? And on a regular basis, we as leaders are under different forms of pressure. To say the right thing, to do the right thing, to come up with the right words—you know, the r- the right body language and demeanor and emotion—and control ourselves and all these things that we're under pressure to do—and so what's inside of you comes out. And over years and years of repetition, over years and years of preparation and of growth. Right. You have become this person who is dynamic and energetic and powerful and charismatic. And so, in the moment, it comes out and it comes out in a way that, as you said, is authentic and genuine because it is who you are. Yep. I, I just love observing that about people like you, Brian. It's amazing. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. What's next for you in 2021 and beyond? Woo! Well,
0: I, uh, you know, I've signed every email since 2018 with first to ten. So, literally, since I became a DVM, every damn email uh, that I have sent from my inbox has said first to ten. So, you know, we we're, we we want to make a run at ten million dollars in in our division this year. And you know, Dan, I don't I don't know if we're going to get there. It might, you know, I have us projected it somewhere between. Eight point five and nine point five. You know, I don't know if we'll crack that eight figure mark this year, but I uh, I want to hit that benchmark and then I want to blow it. I, I, I just want to start melting fucking faces, dude. So that's you know that's to me what I tell reps is when you hit dirty thirty. You know, life begins at dirty thirty. Dirty thirty isn't isn't the starting it isn't the finish line. It's the starting point, right? Well. 10 million isn't, isn't the finish line. It's the starting point. That's when I really want to start to start to do some things that start to melt faces. I eventually, I would like to build a, you know, whether it's within my current division lines or with more opportunity, I want, I want to build a 15 to a $20 million division. I want to have a division that's cranking like a region who knows. And then beyond there, I I mean, I could totally see, see myself as a, you know, an RM one day or, you know uh, working with with Cutco in a, an executive level type role and you know later in my life i've always said i'm going to be a lifer here i don't know what it is but i just i love what i do i love the company i love the people so we got we got big plans i, I would say that the big thing for me is just i want to make sure that these branches go out and crank i want to make sure that our our district managers are operating at a really high level and whatever that end up total number ends up being at the end of the year, it is what it is. As long as my uh, my branches and my districts and the reps within those organizations are having a really robust experience and they're fulfilled and having fun doing mm-hmm. it, then uh, I think that, that, tol- that, that number at the end of the year is going to end up being really big anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's so cool to hear. Well, I'll tell you with the recruiting systems that we have, and especially that the Eastern region is uh, on the forefront of driving, there's going to be a potential for continued growth there by scaling the retention systems. The way you talked about earlier, who knows how high our productivity per person could become. And so the possibility of having the 10, the 15, the $20 million division organization, uh, I can see it. And I know you can as well. Oh, yeah. um, and, and it, it starts with investing in our current people and helping every single one of them succeed. I've often described that one of my proudest moments in my vector career was a night where I drove from my home in the Bay Area near San Jose up to up to Sacramento for a conference we were going to have the next morning. It was SC one. It's a two-hour drive. Okay. And it was SC one, and I had thirteen offices in my division. I called. All twelve of the other others, all right, not including my pilot. I called all twelve managers. Had just had the best week of their career in the same week.
0: <laughs>
1: so in badass. The same week. Yes, oh. and um, and it was amazing what we did. We did well over a one point two million dollars for push two weeks in a thirteen office division. And it was the start of amazing times, Brian. And I think about what you have and the chance to have all of your managers experience something like that in Mm -hmm. 2021. Like, And and not just you, but every division manager listening to this can experience something like that as we look into 2021. I mean, we are at the start of high times in Cutco and Vector over the next few years. We're about
0: to go on a ride, brother
1: we are and you're going to be at the front end of it and it's awesome, you know, to see what you're doing, man.
0: You got anything else you want to share with the audience? What you appreciate appreciates, you know, it's impossible for for anxiety and gratitude, it's impossible for stress and appreciation to coexist. So when you're feeling stressed or anxious, focus on the things that you're appreciative of and grateful for. And uh have fun. Enjoy what you're doing. Life is too short not to. So Exactly. Exactly. The yeah. great last word, Brian. Thanks so
1: much for rejoining us for the podcast. The Vector World loves you and it's awesome to hear from you. And uh, I really appreciate you as well. Appreciate you, Dan. It was a blast. All right. Brian Hurlman, everyone. I do not have a whole lot to add to the end of this one because uh, Brian really did say it all. He is an authentic, he is genuine, he is enthusiastic, he brings energy to every interaction and to everyone around him. He's a big thinker, he is ambitious, and he's willing to work and do what he says he is going to do What an amazing example for anyone who works with them and for anyone in the Cutco Vector Marketing Organization. Please check out episode 65, which is all about Brian Hurlman's story in the business. You'll get a lot out of that one as well. Brian also talked about daily rituals or routines. I want to encourage you to please check out episode 156 which is where I get together with Hal Elrod to talk about the Miracle Morning concept uh, that Hal shares worldwide from his best-selling book and now movie about his concepts and his life. Those are a couple resources I want to share with you. If you like the podcast, please share it with others. Please, if you haven't done this, take five seconds, hit the five rating on your podcast player write a short review, even if it's a few words, a few sentences, if you're so motivated on Apple Podcasts, that does help spread the word about this podcast throughout all of our communities. And uh, just helps to show what Vector and Cutco are doing in the world for so many people. So thank you very much for listening to Brian Hurlman. Happy New Year, everyone. Let's make 2021 the best year of our lives. A great tool that a lot of vector managers have used to learn about themselves and their people is the Core Values Index or CVI. This is the most reliable personality assessment ever created. I've arranged for our listeners to get a free CVI assessment by visiting erep.com slash E slash D C. That's erep.com slash E slash dc it takes less than 10 minutes to complete and you'll get your results immediately you'll also have an option to upgrade your report to a detailed assessment that's worth every penny to check out go to erep.com slash e slash dc and take the cvi test today thanks for listening if you enjoyed today's episode of changing lives selling knives Please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing
0: lives.